it might surprise you to learn this, but uh, I'm not a medical doctor. So if you came to me, say, one day during the week and said, hey, Rob, I got this really weird pain in my neck. What might it be? I would not be able to tell you what's wrong with you. In fact, probably you could have a better idea of what's wrong with you, but you might not be completely sure. Because you might be thinking, okay, well, this creak in my neck, is it from the way I'm sleeping? Did I not stretch? What could it be? And you might go to Google, and Google might give you a whole bunch of ideas, and it'll probably give you the worst case scenarios possible, and you'll think, oh no, I'm dying because my neck is sore. But if you don't go see a doctor, someone who is trained, who understands the body, who's gone to school to do this very thing of tell you what's wrong with your neck, you probably won't really know what's wrong with you. Likely, you've done this before. You've felt sick and you've felt, hey, what's wrong with me? And you went to Google and you had a list way too long of symptoms and possible diseases that you have. And you're thinking, oh no, I've got you know, flesh-eating disease or whatever it might be, the worst case scenarios. But you don't really know. Google can't really tell you what is physically wrong with you. You need to go to a doctor. And if you're anything like me, you usually put going to a doctor off as far as you can, and then usually things get worse, and they say, well, why didn't you come sooner? You could be feeling better way earlier than you are now. When we aren't feeling well, sometimes it's just a common cold, something simple, maybe we don't need to go to the doctor, but when there's something really wrong with us and we're not sure what it is, if we don't go to a doctor, we're not really going to know what's wrong with us. In the same way, like if you have a pet and your pet starts to get sick and you might be able to Google all the symptoms to go, okay, could this be wrong with it? Unless you go to a vet, you're not really going to know what's wrong with your animal. Or if your car, you know, the engine light goes on, you're thinking, okay, well, maybe this is it, maybe that is it, and you Google it and maybe it gives you a bunch of ideas on how to fix it, you won't really know until you go to a mechanic to really assess what's wrong. When something is wrong, the best thing we can do to figure out how to fix it is to go to an expert. And the same thing is true about our spiritual well-being. Many of us, when we feel disconnected from God, when we feel like our faith is lacking or something is not right, we might go to a friend or to Google or anywhere, but sometimes we forget to go to an expert, the expert, God. When we want to understand our spiritual condition, what might be an issue or a struggle or a joy even, the best place we can go is directly to God and what God says. Because we could listen to all the preachers we want, we could read all the books we want, we could do all those things, all we want, all the blogs, all the YouTube videos, everything, but unless we go to God, we might just be hearing things that aren't fully true. We might just be hearing things that feel right, but maybe are not. If you want to know your spiritual condition, you need to go to God and see what he says about it. For some of us, when we think about our spiritual condition, we're thinking about, well, how do I feel today? Do I feel close to God? And if you were with us over the last few weeks, as we've started this series called Behind the Mask, one of the things I said in the last message was, you know, our feelings are not facts. Just because we feel something in a moment doesn't necessarily mean it's true. 
And so you may feel distant from God, or you may feel like God doesn't care, but that might not be true. So you've got to go and find the truth. You've got to go to what God says. In the same way, if you feel like your spiritual life is not growing, you can do a few different things. You could go to resources like books or YouTube videos or blogs or wherever, or even to friends, and try to assess the situation. Or you can hide it behind a mask and pretend like everything's okay. Or you can go to God and figure out what your real spiritual condition is and how to move past where you are and go where he invites you to be. Many of us, when we want to assess our spiritual condition, we think more about how we feel than what is true. So what is it that God says about our spiritual condition? And how can that make a difference in your daily life? Well, I believe that Paul expresses this in his letter to the church at Ephesus. This church that was primarily non-Jewish people, so Gentiles, and maybe a few Jewish people who were mixed into that, there was primarily people who did not know the full story of God from the Old Testament. They had other religions, other beliefs that they followed. And then their lives changed when Paul introduced them to the Savior, Jesus. And as these people started to follow Jesus, they started to shift how they behave because what we believe changes how we behave. But they were still struggling to make sure they were getting things right. And so Paul writes this letter to Ephesus, to this church, or maybe a multitude of little churches, house churches, and wants them to understand who God is, what they believe, and how to believe the right things, and why that matters and how they should live because of it. And so we looked at how God has chosen his people. That even before time began, God chose us, humanity, all humans, to be made whole in Jesus, to be with him, to have a relationship. But we don't all choose to have that relationship. So even though God chooses us, we don't always choose him. And so Paul wants us to know, as he wanted this church in Ephesus to know, that God loves you greatly. That when he sees you, he doesn't see your errors, he doesn't see your mistakes, but he sees a child, he is adopted into his family, and nothing will change that. And for some of us, we could hear that, and that's a great encouragement, and I hope it is for you. I hope it is for you to understand how much God loves you, and that you are encouraged. But if you just think, okay, well, everything's good, everything's fine, it doesn't really matter, God loves me no matter what I do, you might be missing out on the fullness of what God offers you. And Paul, as he continues to write this letter to this church in Ephesus, starts to try and help them understand what their real spiritual condition is and why that matters. So in the beginning of chapter 2, Paul writes this, As for you, so again, speaking to these people, these Ephesian believers in Jesus says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. 
So Paul says, as for you, so he's, he started off this letter helping them understand that God chose them. Even if other people think, say that, you know, God doesn't love you, God didn't choose you. He says, no, God did choose you because he chose everybody and he's adopted you and he wants you to know how deeply he loves you. But he says, as for you, you've got to understand this. Even though God can change your life and God has changed your life through Jesus, you have to understand that you were dead. You weren't good enough. You weren't well enough. You were dead. Some of us, when we have conversations with people, we might talk about God and they'll say, well, you know, I'm a good person. But Paul expresses to these people, he says, it's not really about being a good person. You're dead. Before Jesus, you're dead. You are not spiritually alive. Your spiritual condition is death because you were following a way of living that was separate from the way of God. You're following a way, and he specifically is talking about spiritual beings. So we would say like Satan or the devil or other spiritual beings that you're choosing to follow instead of God and living in that way, even if you don't realize it. Whenever we choose not to follow God's way, we are ultimately choosing another way, someone else's way. And Paul would say that's, if it's not God's way, it's wrong. And so Paul is writing to this church. He says, hey, you need to understand this. You were dead. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Paul says, because of our condition, our spiritual condition that we started off and we were separate from God, we are deserving, meaning we're not deserving of good, we're deserving of wrath. When wrath comes up in the Bible, it can be one of those words that stumps some of us. Some of us may have grown up in generations where we talked a lot about the wrath of God and that God was angry and that God was going to hurt people and punish them and it was God's wrath. And while the word wrath comes up over and over again in the New Testament, the perspective that a lot of us have taken might not be as biblical as it should be. The truth is, and we're going to talk about this in a few weeks actually when we talk about heaven and hell and everything in between, the truth is that yes, there is a separation from God that occurs. And yes, that separation is painful. It's suffering. And yes, that is God's wrath. And so there does come a point where that is what we are deserving. When we choose not to join with God, choose not to follow God, choose not to embrace the fact that he has chosen us before the world began and he's adopted us into his family. When we choose that, we are going to experience God's wrath, the absence of his love. And that is incredibly painful. Some of you might know what that feels like in a very real sense, that maybe you've had past relationships where you did not feel loved because you weren't. Maybe it was in your family of origin. Maybe it was in a dating relationship or even a marriage. And you can have that feeling of just absence of love. That's what God's wrath is like. We choose to embrace it when we choose not to join with him. And so Paul is telling this church, and he's telling us too, 2,000 years later, 
That when we choose not to follow God, when we do not embrace the fact that God chose us, we experience that absence of love and there's nothing good about it. So we might follow other ways, and he would say spiritual ways, the devil. We might follow other ways that maybe we don't even think of as spiritual ways. And when we choose to do that, we will experience the absence of God and his love. And there's nothing good about it. But because, right, so he's saying this is your spiritual condition. You were dead and you were in the absence of God's love. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul says the reality of your spiritual condition, the reality of my spiritual condition, before we were in Christ, is we were dead. We were experiencing God's wrath, the absence of his love, because we were choosing to embrace a way of living that was separate from God. But in his love, in his mercy, he invited us back in. He died for us on the cross. And because of Jesus, we are forgiven and we are justified and we are made right in God's sight so that we are alive. We were dead, but now we are alive. And it's not something you've done that made it happen. In fact, it's all of what God did because God is rich in mercy, in his kindness, in his love. He expresses it to us and says, you are valuable. You are my child. When I see you, I love you. And you need to know that. So much so that I died for you on a cross. And that in Jesus, we find that forgiveness of that transgression, of that sin that made us dead, and we are alive again. And Paul says it's nothing that you did that earned it. You didn't do good enough stuff to get right with God. God just did it because he loves you and he offered it to you. Nothing you did earned your standing with God. Nothing you did made it right for God to save you because God just did it because he loves you. It's out of himself that it happens, not out of anything you've done. And so our spiritual condition is that we were dead, but God made us alive. And then the question becomes, do we stay alive? Do we continue to embrace that? As Paul is speaking to this church in Ephesus, he says, you were made for a purpose. You are God's handiwork. Some translations will say masterpiece. And we're going to talk about that in the next message. 
He says you were made for something, and he's prepared something for you. But the question ultimately becomes is do you embrace that way of life? Do you embrace that you were dead, but God made you alive, and nothing you did earned that? It was just God and his invitation for you, for me, for everybody, because before the world began, he chose us. He adopted us into his family. But some of us don't accept that. And when we don't accept that and we go our own way, we are living a way contrary to what God has for us that brings life. And we are embracing the spiritual death that we might not even realize we're embracing. And as we do that, we are experiencing the absence of his love because he's honoring our decision. A lot of us, a lot of us have this idea that, you know, if we're good enough, God will be okay with us. If, we're, if we just do the right things, God's going to love us and it's all going to be good. But that's not the case. The truth is, God loves you no matter what. But are you living like that's true? And I think a lot of us, we have this condition where we look at other people and we just say, well, as long as I'm better than this person, I'm okay. We have this reality where we feel like as long as I'm at least not like them, I'll be okay. We'll say things like, well, you know, I know I, I smoke, but at least I'm not smoking pot. Or we say, well, I'm smoking pot, but at least I'm not smoking crack. There's always somebody who's worse than us, so we can push that to a side and not really look at what our condition is and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as someone else. Or we'll say something like, well, I know I shouldn't look at pornography, but at least I'm not cheating on my spouse. Or we'll say, well, I know I shouldn't speed while I'm driving down the highway, but at least I'm not going as fast as that guy or swerving in and out of traffic. We'll always find somebody worse than us, and we will put the blame on that person and say, well, at least I'm not like them, so I must be okay. And a lot of us in our experience with God live a life that says, well, at least I'm not like this, so God must be okay with me. And that's not the case because there is no at least with God. You are either dead or alive. There's no degree of separation saying, well, at least I'm not as bad as someone. Either you are dead or you are alive. Your spiritual condition depends on where you stand with God, not in anything you've done, but in everything he's done. In Christ, you receive the forgiveness of sin, meaning that missing the mark, the missing the fullness of being human, you receive a washing away of that to be made alive, fully alive in Christ. Paul is writing to this church and he wants them to understand this essential truth that their spiritual condition is not something they can assess on their own. Like you and me, we could go to Google and say, hey, what are, what are my symptoms? What are the things wrong? And we could say, okay, well, that must be what's wrong. But it's not the way it works. The only absolute, the only standard is God's standard. And by God's standard, when we were not in Christ, we were dead in sin. And until we find ourselves in Christ, we are not alive. 
And we might be able to put on a mask pretending to be spiritually alive. You know, we could say things like, well, you know, I go to church all the time or look at me in my small group or look at all these things I do. But those things are not the things that make you alive. What makes you alive is Jesus. It is only in Christ that you could be fully alive. And no matter what mask you wear to try to hide behind, it will not be true unless you are in Christ. You will not be fully alive. Paul wants this church to know. Paul wants us to know. And I want us to know. That whatever our spiritual condition is, whatever our symptoms are, the only remedy is Christ. The only way to move past the I'm at least not as bad as that person is to recognize that there is no at least. There is no tearing of who's good enough for God. None of us are. But in His goodness, in His love, He chose us. He invited us. And we find ourselves in Him. And in Him, we find life. And when we embrace that life He has offered us, our lives should look different. Our lives should reflect that God who chose us, who says, I see you as blameless, who says, you are adopted into my family. Nothing can change your standing with me. Our lives should reflect the God who in love showed mercy and moved us away from the absence of his presence and love and into his presence. Our lives should look alive. And if our lives don't look like that, we need to be asking the question, am I embracing a spiritual condition that God's already freed me from? Death instead of the one he's offered me, life. We need to soberly look at our hearts, our spirits, and say, what am I embracing? Many of us, like I said, wear these masks to pretend we're something we're not because maybe we're afraid of what we know is true. Maybe we're afraid that we realize and recognize that we are separate from God by our own choosing. That he made us alive, but we didn't keep living like it. We kept walking further and further away. And as time goes on, that distance kept growing because we haven't been spending time with God. Because we haven't been making his way a priority. Because we have been embracing other decisions, other ways of living that are contrary to his life-giving instruction. And as we've been diverging ourselves away from God, we haven't been experiencing that love, that acceptance, that embrace that he offers us. So what do we do? How do we stop living behind these masks of pretend? And how do we start embracing being fully alive in Christ? I don't know about you, but that's what I want to do Every day. Every day I want to be fully alive in Christ. I don't want to keep going back to doing things that separate me spiritually from God. 
The truth is I know that nothing will fully separate me from God, but I will continue to make choices that diverge me away from his path. And when I continue to make those choices, I experience his distance, his absence. And it's not that he's absent. It's that I've moved away. I don't want that. And I hope you don't want that either. I hope that you want to experience a life that is fully alive. And that as Jesus says in John's gospel, that he came to give us life in all of its fullness. And that Paul expresses here that it's nothing we've done that can earn our standing with God, but it's all him. I pray that we embrace that and we make decisions to keep embracing that daily. So what do we do if we feel like we've distanced ourselves too much? Well, the first thing we need to remind ourselves is that feelings are not facts. So the fact is God has chosen you. God has adopted you. When he sees you, he sees you as blameless and right in his eyes, not because of anything you've done, but because of everything he did in Christ on that cross. That you are forgiven, you are free, you are alive in Christ. So the first thing we need to do, if we feel like we're diverging, if we feel like we've been missing the point and we've been living a life separate from God's blessing and fullness and aliveness, is we have to come back to the facts, come back to the truth, come back to what he says to us. And then we need to assess ourselves. Have I been living like this? Have I been living like I am chosen, like I am loved, like I am embraced? Or have I been living my own way? how I feel in a moment. Every day we can look at our, our day and ask ourselves, well, what have I done today that demonstrated that I am alive in Christ? Or are there things I've done that have demonstrated the opposite? How has my living reflected what I know to be true? And then we can enter into prayer with God and ask God to heal and reveal what it is he needs to heal and reveal in us so that we can know that on our own, our spiritual condition was death, but in Christ, we are alive and it's for us to embrace. God's done his part. Now it's our turn to embrace what he's done for us. My prayer for you, my prayer for me, my prayer for this whole world is we stop living like we're dead and we become fully alive in Christ when we follow him and embrace his ways, which are so much better than our own. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a God who is rich in mercy, that in your richness of mercy, you embraced us and you forgave us even when we were not even looking for that forgiveness. You did all the heavy lifting, God, And you just said, hey, you just come to me. As Jesus, you even say in Matthew's gospel, to come to me, those who are weary and heavy laden, those who are burdened, that you give rest. The truth is, Jesus, you do give us rest because you make us fully alive when we can shed the death of our spiritual condition. And we can only fully know that's true, Holy Spirit, when you reveal it to us and you help us to go to you to confess that to embrace that, to be made alive in Christ. 
Holy Spirit, I pray that for all of us who are watching, whether we're watching live or we're watching later on demand, that we embrace the life you have for us, Jesus. That we let go of the death we held on to, thinking it was a better way, and embrace the cross, your suffering, your death, your resurrection for the hope of the world, for the life of all people. And I pray we can stop hiding behind masks of thinking, I'm good enough, or I did this, or, you know, I've earned this, and embrace the truth that, God, it's all you, and we just have to accept it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.